All right, so we're live, Kevin. Great. <laughs> um, hello, everybody. So this is Creating Consciousness. This is episode 12, and I am here with Dr. Kevin Molay, who is like the head of total body modification, right? Sure. <laughs> That's close enough. I'm going to adjust this real quickly so that way we have a better view of you. And I'm going to expand this out so we don't have distractions. Okay. So um, for those of you who didn't see my video with Kira working on my body prophylactically with the jab, you got to check it out. I'll put the link in this um, uh, post below. But anyway, Kevin, welcome. Thank you. How are you doing today? Amazing. Good. Yeah. Kevin's typically doing well. <laughs> so why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself first and how you got involved in TBM? Sure. So I developed a dysautonomic syndrome very early in life. Today it would be most commonly related to, say, fibromyalgia syndrome. And so I had mood and energy disorders, had a lot of immune issues, I was heavy, and uh, no energy, wasn't sleeping well, et cetera, et cetera. And by the time I was 12, it was kind of pulling my whole world down. And I was about to be kicked <clears throat> out of school. And I had the, the, a stroke of luck, if you will, if you think luck exists, uh, I, I don't. Um, I found this book in our school library, responding to an assignment from my science teacher called Sweet and Dangerous by John Yudkin. Uh, Dr. Yudkin in the 1950s uh, developed the foundational concepts for metabolic syndrome, which is basically type two diabetes, obesity, heart disease, uh, depression, insomnia, all wrapped into like, into one constellation. And he, uh, was rejected by the, the scientific elites of the time in the UK. And so he went to the lay public and started publishing material straight to the um, lay audience. I read that and cut out sugar entirely at age 12 and noticed a huge surge in my health, noticed I could concentrate in school and, and I wasn't angry all the time and I, I wasn't sleepy all the time, and I was hooked. I thought, if I can learn one thing and improve my health, what if I learn two things and three things? And I really haven't stopped since then. That was 1976. And that is what led me to wanting to become a chiropractic physician. Graduated in 1989. During that time, I worked in the office of this guy here, Dr. Victor Frank and later on became an instructor for total body modification and then shortly before his passing uh, he asked me to carry it on and uh, so here i am that was back in 2009 so i think tbm is alive and well <laughs> and uh, it's certainly been a great journey and great project for me and i get a lot of gratitude so it's very rewarding as well. Awesome. So 
you know, people saw or they can see the video with Kira working on me. And I wanted to show people that because it's so hard to describe like how this process works. And unless you watch it, like I've brought people to my sessions and they're blown away. Like they're just blown away how the body responds to questions. You know, um, obviously you and I both know Randy and, and a lot of the work he does. And it's like, it's, it's, I don't know how to describe that. Do you have a way to describe TBM words? Well, <laughs> every time I get asked to describe what TBM is, I kind of, get on the edge of my seat because I'm completely curious how I'm going to answer it on that given day. And it always changes. I knew you were going to ask this question. And first and foremost, TBM is a discipline devoted to making sure that people experience the fruits of their hard work as far as it goes like their lifestyle. So many people will exercise, they'll improve their diet, they'll practice forgiveness, they'll do relaxation, they'll make sleep a priority, and they don't get any better. And so for me, on a practical level, TBM is to make sure that if we do something to improve our health, it actually improves our health. And the reason it doesn't is because there are things under the hood that are working against us that biomedicine really is is not equipped to deal with at all. And this is where I'm going to nerd out with you a little bit and hopefully don't put some of you asleep. <laughs> but physics is one of my favorite topics. And there was this huge transformation in physics that happened in the early 20th century. Um, and that was when it was discovered that um, subatomic physics like none of the particle physics, so that would be the physics of Aristotle, Newton, Einstein, none of those actually applied when you went inside of the atom. Inside of the atom, it was literally a completely new physical universe and entirely new physical laws. And so, you know, applied. And thankfully, Schrodinger came up with this wave function, which actually explained that entire universe in, in one formula, if you will. But some really interesting things were learned, and that is there is no such thing as time and space in there. You can have a, a particle, if you will, um, here, and then instantly it will be here and it will never have been in between. And, and, it's, and there's, that's called quantum tunneling. And then there's things like quantum entanglement where one particle will be spinning left or right as it pleases, another one will be doing the same, and all of a sudden they pair, and one will spin left and the other one will spin right, and then they'll immediately switch. And it doesn't matter how much distance, it's always immediate. And, and so if we, we stop and realize with the human body, if there is a part of the human body that functions on like the principles of Newton and Einstein, that would be the biomedical aspect of which they have three principal tools, uh, cutting, burning, and poisoning or drugging. Those are the only tools that biomedicine has. Everything will fall into one of those three categories. That's been the case for 
you know, thousands of years, so it's going to be going back to Hippocrates. And then we have subtle influence medicine, which actually works with the body in a, in a subatomic way, or what we like to call as a wave. You know, Schrodinger is the wave function, and when you, when you go into the subatomic world, you leave behind this world of particles, and everything becomes a concentrated <clears throat> waveform. And so what appears as a particle is actually just a concentration of waves. And, and so TDM works in a completely different level, completely different uterus, universe, uterus. <laughs> um, Birth somewhere. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I, I, I'll, I'll stay away from the subject of going back to the initial singularity, which I call the uterus of the universe. But um, in it, at any rate, we, we work where it's, it's on a wave level rather than a particle level. So we're not manipulating the physical body. We don't consider that to be our job. We consider that to be the, the wisdom or intelligence of the body's job to manipulate the physical. But what we do is we respectfully interact with the body on, on a wave level which is very malleable, it's very open to, um, to interacting in ways to create resonant waveforms where there have been dissonant. Think of an orchestra that's out of tune, it's dissonant, or whether it, then it becomes harmonious when everyone's resonating mm -hmm. together. And so that's what we want to do is we want to bring resonance to the body under every condition. And when it, a body has that resonance, it has a really high level of resilience and it responds to like, the, like the, the, our deepest and most like positive yearnings of what we're doing to improve our lives and our health, relationships and everything else. If you haven't seen What the Bleep Do We Know, breaks things down very well. In fact, the extended version I'm a geek too when it comes to this topic, yeah. right? It's the extended version that actually really breaks it down. I love the part where they do the um, the experiment with the camera and they're shooting the balls through. Yes. And when they turn the camera off, it makes a different pattern than when they turn the camera on. Really powerful in terms of just how we influence our reality based on what we observe which is a huge part of the healing process too. Like, I mean, in terms of what I've been trained over the past with um, other modalities, you know, like, you know, um, kind of just visualizing it being done at the same time is very powerful, the work that you're trying to achieve. Well, for me, fundamentally, <clears throat> healing is interacting with the same stimulus, but from a perspective that creates a completely different outcome. We really don't get to vote on what's happening outside of us. Mm -hmm. But if we can change our lens, we change the way our body responds to something. A lot of people know TBM for us working with people that have allergies and other sensitivities. Uh, when I worked in Dr. Frank's office back in 1986, I had a life-threatening reaction to poison ivy. And and so I got worked on in that office for poison ivy. 
and had a 30-year period where I was in poison ivy all the time, white water kayaking, and never had any reaction whatsoever. So my body, we just modified how my body responded to, to poison ivy. And to me, fundamentally, that is healing because as you're saying, our experience of what happens outside of us is actually 100% subjective. None of it is hardwired. Mm -hmm. And if we change that lens, we change everything. Yeah, that's what's so interesting about reality, right? Like everyone's reality is so different. There is no reality per se, right? We, we don't have the apparatus to interact directly with anything. All we can do is make up a useful model for what is happening and and go with it so we we don't need to be real we just need an effective model mm -hmm. and we can update that model in fact i think the game of life is finding better and better models that make life easier more joyful more abundant more connected and more filled with energy and so, so and, and i'm going back to you know we understand neuroscience that for instance, we don't see anything like what we think is, is these images that are in our head. Our eyes do not produce these images. Our brain produces them from all these fragments of light that we have no idea what things really look like. Uh, we have no depth perception when we're born. We construct depth perception just like we construct language. Vision is actually a language. And just like you can learn a new language, we can learn different ways of seeing things, not just physically, but seeing with our minds, seeing relationships and health and such. So, yeah, this, this is a topic that I, I love, and <laughs> I probably get a little bit too deep for most people in it. But the main point is that we don't have to keep experiencing the same reactions that we've had in the past. It's all completely malleable. And TDM is just a very powerful tool to upgrade our experiences so our life becomes more in line with what our deepest experience and goals are. It's interesting that you say that like, you know, there's there's no like set way. And it's funny as a coach, people will go, well, what is the right way? And I'm like, it's not a matter of right or wrong. The question you need to ask is, is it working for you? It's not working for you. We got to discover how to change it. But if it is working for you, then it's not. Doesn't matter if I agree with it. It's what works for your life, right? And um, and yeah, I mean, there are so many situations where I see people and they just have just accepted whatever label they've been given, you know, the diagnosis or something, and it blows my mind, right? Because you know my story, and I, some of the viewers know my story about how my family got into natural healing you know and it started with a homeopathic doctor and my hair had all fallen out and of course no western doctor had an answer let alone a solution right and then finally my mom decides to go a different route and stumbled upon a homeopathic doctor who's like testing my meridians and he's like Get your thyroid's off you know what i mean and so i was so young that i didn't have i wasn't invested in what was going on right so like obviously my hair grew back i got plenty of hair now and um so when people tell me they have these issues 
my my question is why are you identifying with that? <laughs> so fix it, heal it, change it, like because you can. And there was a woman recently who she was posting about how she had diabetes insipidus. I had diabetes insipidus for like a week. Like something tripped up my kidney. I was severely dehydrated. It was the weirdest thing, right? And I, I went to Nicole, who you know, and she's like, she just, she's muscle testing. She's like, oh, you have diabetes insipidus. Let me fix your kidney. No problem. Next day, I'm fine. And when I told her the story, she's like, there's no way. And I'm like, yeah. And she goes, what symptoms did you have? And I listed all of them. And she was like, are you kidding me? I have lived with this my entire life. And I'm thinking, you just have to ask the right questions. Like, Nothing, nothing in my experience is set in stone unless you choose it to be, you know? So, um, obviously, but I, I mean, I grew up in this world of natural medicine. And so I'm always like you, I'm like, you know, it's, it's, what is the right formula, formula that we need to get where we want to go, right? Like, that's kind of the question I tend to ask a lot of times. Um, now, you were talking very energetically. If we were to try to hone that in on a more physical level, um, I would say TBM is, you know, like really based on the nervous system. Like with the work that your ex-wife has done on me and now Kira, it's like, it's, they're talking to the nervous system the whole time. Would you agree? Uh, 100%. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Our interface, you know, mm -hmm. when you're working on a, a, your laptop, so we're recording this on a laptop. You're using this keyboard. The laptop is not the keyboard. The it's there is is programming. And speaking of of Schrodinger, um, quantum physics is required to run this computer. You couldn't do it with Einstein and Newtonian physics. But we can't directly interact with the what's happening in all this circuitry. All the, the movement of electrons. Electronics is not electric devices, it's electronic devices, I meaning it's it's the movement of electrons. We can't directly interact with that, but we have this interface of the keyboard or the touch screen and this microphone. All of these are input things that the, we can then interact with that world that we know nothing about, we can't see but yet it's a very, very powerful tool in our mind. It's a very powerful tool in our world. These, these deep components, these energetic, these quantum components of our body, we don't interact with directly. We need some sort of a practical interface. And absolutely that is the neurologic system. That's, that's what it does. It, like, it, it bridges from the particle world to the subatomic world. Um, for the practical aspect. And so we use a neurologic system to read how the wave function of the body rather than the particle function, the wave components of who we are, of our physiology, of our essence. We use a neurologic system to, to access that and to read it and to know, hey, you know, we have this, this little glass ampule that has the resonant frequency of a banana. And I can hold it up to your breastbone and actually see a neurologic response that indicates that it's stressing you. Well, why would a banana stress you? 
there's really no reason why you would need to have a benevolent stress energy. And so how about if we go bring about resonance so bananas don't stress you? And then you find you eat a banana and it's delicious and your body works great. Instead of maybe prior to that, you ate a banana and you got a rash or you couldn't sleep well or you got a headache. So yeah, the neurologic system is our interface. And one way to look at TBM is it's, um, it's functional neurology, basically applying neurophysiology directly into a clinical setting um, rather than just leaving it relegated to textbooks. So <clears throat> obviously we have the video with Kira, but what would be like a really common, for instance, that you come across in a regular patient that you would address and, and then you would correct in a session? Yeah. Uh, well, I, I would say the, the most common malady, if you will, is non-restorative sleep. And sleep is when the healing aspects of the neurologic system dominate. It's called parasympathetics. And if, if the healing aspects of the body can't dominate during sleep, then we actually, our body gets behind, behinder and behinder every day because we break the body down, we build up toxins, uh, we deplete reserves, and all that has to be replenished, kind of like a, a ship that's been out to battle pulling into the safe harbor. It's got to be recalibrated, restocked, the soldiers need to rest, or you know, the Navy, whatever. And our body needs that every single night. So, you know, then, okay, so if, if this common theme on the really all sickness, all chronic illness, seems to have as, as a foundational issue, non-restorative sleep. And if that's the case, then well, why, what is happening with non-restorative sleep? What's driving it? What's driving it is sympathetic dominance. Mm. Sympathetic dominance is basically where the gas pedal is stuck on the car and you're trying to go to sleep and the gas pedal is stuck. And so your sleep is gonna be fractured, it's gonna be shallow, it's going to be abbreviated. It might be hard to fall asleep. Um, you might wake up early and not get, be able to get back to sleep. Or you might seemingly sleep really well, but wake up feeling like you need a gallon of coffee. Mm -hmm. And so none of those things would be restorative sleep. And so, so why is it stuck? The most common reason that it's stuck, there are really two. One is the body is depleted of water. So we call this hypohydration. Dehydration is a more critical state. And quite often that's not the state people come in. They just simply don't have enough water for the body to function effectively. And that actually will activate sympathetics. And the other thing that activates sympathetics are blood sugar fluctuations. And we have a diet today that is very much dominated by our palate rather than our history as a species. And, and so our blood sugar is swinging wildly all over the place, whether it's artificial, synthetic, non-caloric sweeteners, or whether it's the real thing. Um, for instance, our ancestors, you know, put cream with sugar when they made ice cream. It wasn't ice milk or it wasn't ice ice rice 
frozen rice dream or something. And, and it's because fat slows down the absorption of sugar. So they would lower the glycemic index. And so high glycemic index foods or foods that have non-caloric sweeteners um, will drive a, an insulin response in the body that will activate sympathetics. And so we find in TVM the first lifestyle things we have to address with someone is getting them hydrated and stabilizing their blood sugar um, through dietary changes. So that's lifestyle. And I, one of the things I loved when I studied with Dr. Frank here is I'd never met a physician that emphasized lifestyle to the degree that he had. And that's really where we always start with someone. But once we have that platform, once we have a body that's, that's not being driven crazy by what they're eating or not eating, um, now we have this cooperative partner. We can interact with the neurologic system and we can start clearing out any obstacles to that sleep and getting parasympathetics to upregulate, getting the reserves replenished at night, getting the toxins eliminated from the body at night, um, detensing the muscles, repairing the damaged connective tissue, uh, digesting you know, the day's food, and so forth. I don't know if that answers your question. Feel yeah. free to ask clarifying <laughs> questions, but that's um, even in my book, I, I talk about that. Like if you're trying to kind of unlearn a pattern, <laughs> if your diet, sleep, those things are not on point, you're on an uphill battle. Like you need to get those things harmonized first and then fight the psychological battle. Otherwise you're just, you're, you're, you're handicapped. <laughs> yes. So definitely I agree with that. Um, I guess more specifically, what I was saying is like in response to the nervous system, so there would be an issue that comes up, right? And obviously I've had many sessions and it's like, oh, we need to hit this point on the spine. I need you to like hold your hand right here and touch right here, right? So it's like body point work, right? Yes. So I guess that was more like if we were going to give a little example of an in-session correction. What would actually do? Yeah. Okay. Well, a couple of things since we... We're not set up here to have a table and, and go through things and so forth. Uh, on our website, uh, live, T-B-M, L-A-V-E-T, as in total, V as in body, and as in modification, dot com, uh, there's a little video of me demonstrating TBM. It's a little five, seven minute video. Um, we'll demonstrate some of these things. But uh, yeah, so for instance, if someone comes in with um, their whole head hurting. So something that Dr. Frank did was map out what types of headaches are actually indicative of what issues in the body. And in TBM, we kind of have a unique map. And we're not the only discipline that's, that's done that. But when it's the entire head, and a migraine would fall into this category, uh, it goes to the liver for us. And all of the functions in the body, if its resilience gets exceeded, if, if more is asked of it than it can respond to, it runs the risk of damaging the hardware, frying the hardware. So the body will actually pull a function off. Mm -hmm. And so when it pulls that function offline, you're now going to get a symptom 
because that's letting us know there's there's something absent that this body needs to function resonantly that we can't keep operational because it could do lasting harm. So if someone comes in, say with a whole head headache, that lets us know that some of the key functions of the liver have been pulled offline. And so generally all we have to do is we'll just, um, as a practitioner, we just touch the liver point, which is a, a swath right underneath the pectoralis major on the right-hand side. And then we get an intact muscle that we use to interact with the neurologic system. And we just test. And if we see a change in, in muscle tone reflecting a change in neurologic tone, when we touch that point that we don't see if we don't touch it or if we touch another part of the body with the spine, um, that lets us know, you know, there are some dissonant patterns related to that function and nine times out of ten we'll then go to the spinal column where the autonomic nervous system which consists of the sympathetic and parasympathetic branches that we talked about earlier um, where it physically resides and so like like keys on a piano so to speak we will create a stimulus into the spine, just a, a physical stimulus, sometimes with our hands, sometimes with a, a tool or a wooden bipronged dowel. And we'll create a pressure there that actually stimulates certain aspects in a particular sequence that the body receives as instructions to bring that function back online. And that function will stay back online so long as the initial stressor has been which is why we begin with lifestyle. Because if you're doing the same thing that threw your body into orbit, it's just gonna be thrown back into, you know, out of orbit again. And so, you know, why waste the time and money and effort you know, doing that? So that's why you start that way. Does that give you a little more of a, okay. I, sometimes I can be a little bit like hurting a cat because <laughs> <laughs> I, do tend to, I do tend to like to, to veer right yeah no problem um, another point before we get into like the current event stuff you know it's does tie into current events I guess but like the whole victim narrative right like everyone's a victim these days and it's really interesting how you know through work like this I guess you would say allopathic medicine I don't know specifically who has caught up and been like, oh yeah, the Vegas nurse stores trauma. Well, yeah, <laughs> the, right? And <clears throat> so through TBM, not just physical symptoms, but you can address psychological emotional symptoms as well and release trauma from the system, which is fabulous. A, a, a proverb that Dr. Frank would often recite is the body weeps the tears, the eyes refuse to shed. And in my experience, 100% of physical issues have an emotional or psychological root. And if that is not addressed, it, will, it may come back, you know, dressed a little bit differently, but the issue will come back. And so we always concomitantly deal with what's going on in the physical body, um, but also the emotional 
um, and psychological aspects. And thankfully in TBM, our system doesn't require prying open memories. It's, they're simply stored. We just access the files and we just, we find what is the emotional dissonance? What is kind of the emotional scar that's being carried forward in life that actually is driving what produced, you know, this particular pain or this, you know, particular reoccurring upset in a person's life and what have you. We just actually can just essentially erase it. Uh, Dr. Frank called them emotional erases. And, and by and large, that, that's our approach. It's just, that's not a useful file anymore. Okay, delete, done. I am sure, though, that you've dealt with clients, though, who really invested, though, in some of their stuff, <laughs> right? I mean, it can be, like, that's where the client kind of has to be taking responsibility, too, to not pull something back, you know? Yeah. I know you worked on someone that, and forgive me, I don't want to put words in your mouth or, or, or butcher anything, but I think it was someone who had type 1 diabetes and you had actually successfully corrected it where they didn't need the insulin, but there was some sort of like, like they went back almost out of comfort or something. It was a, I don't know if you want to tell that story or not, but. Yeah, we call it a buy-in. And so I actually worked with the total, when I was uh, practicing total of five juvenile onset diabetics, uh, one of which, uh, had been uh, for over 50 years and all of them had gotten to the point where they needed no insulin and their body was actually self-regulating quite effectively. In fact, I, in my experience, clinically, type 1 diabetics are actually easier to um, get you know, healthy, if you will, than type 2 diabetics. But Every one of those five broke the work we were doing after some length of time. And one of them was a, a young man in his early 20s. And something I required at the beginning was a diet of two weeks that where there was zero um, carbohydrates, zero anything that had any sort of glycemic. Um, side to it. And he, he was off of his insulin. He was about one and a half week in to, to this program. And he came in and everything unraveled. And I said, oh, okay, let's take a look at this. And he said, well, he said, I started eating sugar again. And I said, oh, you know, that was prohibited for two weeks. And he said, yeah, I just found it too hard. And I'm thinking, wow, you're going to be injecting insulin for the rest of your life or potentially do a restricted diet for two weeks, which will start to taper off, you know, off for you and not have to potentially inject insulin. And I do just want to interject here that we, um, TBM is not about curing disease and diagnosing disease and so forth. We support the body to function resonantly, and these things either discontinue or they don't. Mm -hmm. 
And so I'm just sharing my experience that five times these, these patients no longer needed to inject insulin to maintain their blood sugar within an optimal range. Another one was a woman that I, I worked with and the, the one that had been over five decades. And the other four, it was all immediate. This particular person, it took about six months before she was completely off of insulin. And, and she also was the first one that I had worked with that had been like any real degree of chronicity more than say five years. I mean, certainly five years is chronic, um, but she, it was a whole new level with her. And it took about six months. It was just a slow taper. She used less and less and less. And then I uh, was back in her country a few years later, teaching a course. She was actually a practitioner. That's how we interacted with each other the first time. And I said, so, you know, it's been three, four years since you got off of insulin. How are things going? She says, well, I think I'm going to need to go back on I said, oh, well, tell me more. Why, why do you say that? And she said, well, it's, I'm still not on it, but it's, it's my blood sugar starting to climb. And I said, oh, well, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of saddened to hear that. You want me to look at some things? And she said, well, you know, when you started working with me, you told me I needed to eat blue beef. And that, that would be really important for me resolving my, my blood sugar issues. And I said, yes, I remember that. She said, well, I went to a seminar a few months ago and the person presented the seminar made this really great key case that we all needed to give up eating red meat. And so I stopped after that seminar. So I think I'm gonna need to go back on my insulin. <laughs> and I was just like, wow. <laughs> and, and I realized that, that the buy-in for certain conditions can be so intense that someone won't allow healing to happen. And so now with our practitioners, we teach a whole module on addressing the buy-in surrounding chronic illnesses. And we use type one diabetes as an example, because that's, that's one of the stronger buy-ins is, you know, they're told when you're diagnosed that you won't have this forever, you can never be off of insulin and so forth. And, and they just swallow, you know, like a, like a fish swallowing a hook hole and it goes deep inside. And it's hard to get that hook out. And uh, I had some practitioners tell me that they've succeeded with that in addressing all of the emotional components right up front before we actually go after some of the physical. I know it's kind of like the screening for coaching. It's like, you know, you know, do you really want to change? <laughs> well, there's a commitment to it. <laughs> that's a whole, that's a whole other side because sometimes, you know, this buy-in is almost kind of like subliminal, mm -hmm. but sometimes people just aren't, they haven't suffered enough sure. to do some of the hard work. And so, yeah, you have to screen those people out. Otherwise it's, you're committed that they're not, and that doesn't work. It's like a relationship where, if both people aren't committed, no matter how many things they have going for them, it's not going to work. Well, and I'm sure like as a, as a TBM practitioner, it's not a whole lot different than what I do, which is like, I'm not here to save you and I'm not going to rescue you. And, you know, 
Um, if you don't want to get better, I don't really care. <laughs> like if you do, then I'm here for you. But if you don't, then that's your choice. You know, I'm, I'm not here to try to save people. Um, and uh, that's a huge thing. I think a lot of people, even as a yoga teacher, I see other yoga teachers, they really want to like, rescue their clients and students and it's like, yeah, no, if they don't, if they don't want to have that experience in their mind, heart, body, and soul, then you can't force it. You want to have a really <clears throat> stressful life, get in the persuasion business. I learned a long time ago that trying to talk people into things is about as stressful as it comes. Oh, sure. I just, like you were saying, I just simply offer what I have. If it appeals to you, great. Let's go. We're off and running. If it doesn't, okay. I, I get practitioners come to me and how do I get my husband to be willing to do all of this? Or how do I get my mom or my dad or my best friend? Or how do I get my patients to drink? This is, you know, one of the things in TBM, we require quite a bit of water. It's two thirds of an ounce per pound of body weight. And so, so that's a hundred pounds that's 66 ounces. And that's more than two quarts. And that's a substantial amount of water. If someone is 200 pounds, then you're talking a gallon a day. Uh, you have to make an effort to drink that much. And I would have practitioners, how in your practice did you get people to drink the water? And I said, it's easy. I wouldn't accept them if they wouldn't. It's very simple. I would let them know right up front, this is required. If, if you don't, if you're not gonna do this, you, if you're not gonna follow through with this, then I'll just refer you to someone else because I don't have the tools to heal you without you doing the part. And as far as what I know, this is one of your parts because you got to drink your water and work on these other things. And so, yeah, so I learned it's trying to get people to do things they don't want to do. That's about as unfun as it comes. I think my dad is the only person that I know where I can be like, this is good for you, do it. And be like, okay. <laughs> the only person I know he just takes it he trusts me does it um doesn't argue right but uh most people yeah it's tough and I remember when I was 14 and I was recovering from my eating disorder and like my low point you know being suicidal and stuff my mom took me to an herbalist and the woman gave me a book and she goes I won't work with you until you read this book and it was the game of life and how to play it which has been super helpful even still to this day it's written in 1920s 100 pages kindergarten reading but like just yeah. so effective in terms of mindset and it really did shift my mindset to the whole idea of like the quantum world right and it was just essentially a, a book it was about the bible and she just translated it like metaphysically and um but I can see why she did that like I'm not going to fight your health like if, you're, if your mind's not where it needs to be Again, it's an actual battle. Yeah. So, well, what's interesting is what I discovered, and this really um, surprises a lot of practitioners. My patients were craving being held accountable. They actually were excited. <clears throat> Here's a doctor who's going to tell me what to do and going to hold me accountable. They could just relax with that, mm -hmm. and and they loved it. I. I used to spend a lot of time in there with the research community in Salt Lake City, Utah, University of Utah. And uh, we used to get together every week for what was called a didactic lecture. And, and uh, different physicians and researchers would present. 
And these are some of the brightest and best physicians and, of course, scholars in the whole Salt Lake Valley, literally coming from around the world. And I was astounded when we would talk brass tacks. There were three assumptions in there. They, that if the insurance company wouldn't cover it, a patient wouldn't pay out of pocket for it. Two, a person's body will never get any better than it is right now. It's as healthy as it's ever going to be. So you have to take where they're at now and, and compensate. The third thing is that patients will not do anything. Um, they will not lift a finger to, um, to help their situation. And these assumptions were embedded into all of that. And I found in my practice, people were more than happy to pay for something the insurance company wouldn't pay for, so long as they knew there was a benefit. Um, the human body can get heal and get healthier, like a lot, <laughs> a lot healthier. I'm way healthier right now than I've ever been in my life. And, and third, people are willing to do hard things. I mean, our species, when you look at the history of our species, we can do hard things. We're geared for that. And we're willing to do hard things, provided, again, we know that there's going to be a positive outcome. And that's one of the nice things is that every single TBM session is a show and tell. We don't just tell people what to do or just give them supplements. We actually read their body. We tell them what their body is telling us. They feel their body responding. That muscle was weak, now it's strong. You held this vial up and it was weak and now it's strong. And, and gee, yeah, when you did that last visit with the banana, I've eaten bananas since then and I'm fine. I'm looking forward to see what's gonna happen now. So there's this, this partnership, this engagement, this, this interaction that is happening in, in healing that, that motivates people. And I, I find that people really do want to be well. And what they need are real answers. And there's nothing more motivational than starting to do something and noticing that it's working. And that is, that's, the whole genesis behind, genesis behind TBM. Dr. Frank, another thing really refreshing in addition to being willing to go after lifestyle is that he had no dogma. It was just simply do what works. If something works, keep doing it. If it doesn't, stop. This is not about principles. This is right. not about economics. It's not about saving the planet. This is not about fashion. You have someone who is, is experiencing limitations in their life because of ill health or psychological things or what have you. And our job is to get people better. And I used to tell my patients, I say, look, you know, I'm as concrete as probably anyone on the planet. I really hate things that don't, aren't at first blush, very, very concrete and very direct and linear. But truthfully, you're a human being, I'm here to serve you. And if, if tickling the tip of your nose with a purple feather, you know, while saying supercalifragilisticexpialidocious is what it would take to get you better, I'll do it. Because 
that's why I'm here. And, uh, and so I love that element in TBN. We don't come with these sacred cows or these restrictions. We just simply want to help. Right. And I mean, for me, over the years, that's one thing that like I've tried to remain as fluid as I can with my belief systems. Like I was a vegetarian for 13 years until I just wasn't. Right. And, you know, you know, like your peer who I've gone to since I was a teenager. I mean, story after story after story, because I'm such an anomaly. And I just go right to him. And I remember breaking out after eating chicken again. He's like, oh, well, you, your HCL, like, deprived like yeah you hcl and then you know that was in my mid-20s and then fast forward to you know my early 30s and all of a sudden i need red meat like i don't want chicken anymore i want red meat right and like no one's going to talk me out of this it's my body talking and that's one of the things i love about this type of work is it's like it's a conversation with my body not a conversation with my doctor who thinks they know what's right for my body. Well, this is a direct conversation with my body. And so for me, it's like, I don't care what anyone else says in terms of like, well, I think, or this might be good or whatever. I'm like, well, my body says, and I'm like, what my body says, and we'll just leave it at that. You know, and I, I, I love that. I mean, just even muscle testing myself on a regular basis for do I need this supplement today? You know, what dosage do I need today? Um, not being sure, like there are times where I'm just not sure, should I take this before bed or not? And I'll just muscle test and I'll, and I'll know. And, and my body just lets me know, yeah, this is a good idea or it's not. And um, <clears throat> I have so many stories of how effective this work is. And of course, I just met you a few years ago, but um, in my early 20s when I had had surgery, I had a breast reduction actually. And it was the craziest thing because um, within a four month period, I just put on tons of water weight. And I was mortified. I thought this was psychosomatic. I thought I was like burying some deep memory. And I was like, what is going on? My butt is getting so big. I was huge, huge. And I was just like. And this, this is before <laughs> JLo and Kim Kardashian. Before yeah, before it was cool, right? And I was like, what is going on? I was literally, I'd never had such a big ass in my life. And so finally I cracked and I went and saw Rand because I was like, he's going to tell me something I don't want to hear. I just was like, but I can't take it anymore. Nothing fits. And he goes, you're totally overproducing progesterone in LH. Your body actually thinks you're pregnant. And it was from the surgery. The anesthesia had thrown off the hormone balance. I said, well, can we treat it? He goes, yeah, we can get the water to go away. He goes, your hips? That goes to spread. That's permanent. I'm sorry. And thank God. Like, how narrow would I be if without that? You know, because <laughs> I'm so small already. But the LH had actually made my bones grow. And then, you know, it's funny because I remember and I was like, you know, he's good, but I don't know that he's that good. Like, I just don't believe it. I think I'm screwed. I literally took my all my pants to the tailor and had them let out six weeks later. None of them fit. I went from 126 pounds back down to 107 in six weeks because I had the water weights gone. And I was like, all righty. Well then, all they did was touch some points on my body and send me on my way. Yeah. I was like, there's no way. There's just no way that this weight's gonna go away from that. Even though I was sold on him, I wasn't sold on that in the moment. I was like, I just felt so defeated. And so it, it shocked me when these pants that I had had let out, now none of them fit because the water weight, the progesterone was gone, the water weight was gone. My big J little butt was gone. Right? <laughs> and so, I mean, 
I don't argue with people when they tell me things. I'm like, look, I, 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 I know ways to heal the body like that. You can either, you know, train your mind to think that miracles occur or not. I'm, I'm not going to argue with you. I've, just, I've had too many experiences where, you know, the next day, like symptoms that were there for weeks, months, they're gone. So. And this is where one of the potential benefits I see from the beer panic, you talk about the jab. Mm -hmm. And everyone knows what you're referring to. I'm talking about the beer panic, and hopefully everyone knows what I'm referring to. I when, don't even know what you're referring to. Say, <laughs> well, you know, there's a beer we get south of the border called Corona. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And okay. uh, there seems to be a lot of yeah, a lot of uh, you know, a lot of fear and anxiety. I can be slow, don't worry. Yeah. So I just I call it the beer panic. It's my tongue in cheek. And one of the benefits that that I hope comes from this, I sense is coming from it, is the limitations of biomedicine. We are calling it allopathic medicine. Um, the limitations of biomedicine, when it comes to viruses, we're witnessing. Viruses have been around for millions of years. And our species has been through cycle after cycle a virus, we get through them. There are prices that are sometimes to be paid. Sometimes those prices are kind of minuscule, a few days lost to work. Sometimes the price is quite high and you'll lose 80% of a, of a particular population. I mean, this, this, this type of thing happens. But I find it interesting that biomedicine, which claims this, has this air of superiority and wants to be the exclusive guardians of human health. Mm -hmm. Their recommendation is, oh, a virus, let's close the world. Let's stop life. Let's ruin lives. Let's destroy creativity. <laughs> let's prevent connection with other people. <clears throat> really? This is the best you've got and 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 so you know yes a lot of people are very close to subtle influence medicine the type of work we do it's for them it's not concrete enough it's it's not touted by the scientific elite or or whatnot but i i think a lot more people are going to be willing to be more open I sure hope so. I can't imagine any sane person could look at the management of this situation by the scientific elite, by the biomedical community. Now, within the biomedical community, I find by and large incredibly good-hearted people who really do want to help people. So I'm not speaking um, derogatorily about any particular individual, but the whole system in and of itself the ineptness of it to deal with something like a virus. Now you get the car accident, incredible. You know, it's, and so these like acute life-threatening situations and what have you, they really shine. It's, it's amazing. I'm really grateful that they're there. But something like a virus, you know, I'm not an anti-vaxxer. I actually like the concept of vaccine. I like, and, and this creates, this is, makes me an outlier in the subtle influence of the community.
community, we have a history of being kind of anti-vaccine. I actually think if, if they were done like the original smallpox vaccine, where you take a real virus and you scrape someone's skin and you smear some pus from a cow and there's real virus in that pus, you put it on the skin, which is how we're designed to be exposed to viruses. It gets neurologically read that everything is there to deal, recognize that virus and mount a response. But when you take a virus and you modify it, you break it up or you uh, attenuate it, um, and then you break the skin with it, bypassing all of the normal immune barriers, it's like a Trojan horse mm -hmm. put right into the human body. That doesn't appeal to me so much. And, and so, you know, like the polio vaccine, that was a live virus vaccine that was put in the mouth. And you get a real immune response to that. You know, when my kids were young, we did smallpox or smallpox, we did chickenpox parties. Now, doing a chickenpox party makes you a, a public enemy. Yeah. Like, what? <laughs> it's, you know, where are we going really with all of this? And I got off of the biomedical bandwagon as the guardians of my health in 1976. When I read John Newton's book and I, I learned how he was treated when he said, hey, diet is actually important. The American Medical Association wasn't until 1980, it was 85 or 86, that they ended their long-held position that diet had no influence on health. The way he was treated, um, and the way I, I wrote this paper for my science class, my science teacher gave me a D. And I said, why did you give me a D? And he says, because it's a preposterous idea that sugar could actually be bad for you in any amount. And by that time, I'd already noticed improvements in my health. And, and I realized there's not a lot of open-mindedness in that community. And I learned that there's a huge difference between treating or masking a symptom and increasing health. Just because a symptom goes away doesn't mean the body's healthy. Just because you can't hear the alarm anymore doesn't mean the fire is off. And so, like you, very early on, you know, chiropractic, nutrition, herbology, lifestyle, you know, changes, things like that. I've not taken a pharmaceutical uh, since 1986. And not because I haven't suffered plenty. Um, I have at times. I just wanted to keep my, you know, my hand to the to the flame, and and force me to find non-pharmaceutical answers that are safer. And I, you know, I love the results. That's why my body you know, keeps getting healthier. So I'm hoping that more people are going to recognize, you know, subtle influence medicine. I've maybe I always kind of thought they were quacks and unscientific and just trying to get people's money or something. But maybe there's something to that because certainly the cost of taking the biomedical approach to this whole beer pandemic thing is, is really not viable because we don't know next year is something else going to come down the pipeline. How far does this go? And do we really want to use the tired answers that have been given us? Um, or are we open to something? something different and our practitioners 
have been very comfortable in working with people that have, have been affected by the peer panic personally. And I don't know if any, we have thousands of practitioners around the world that we're in communication with. I don't know of a single one that's lost anybody. And uh, very few have even had their patients they've done our work with experience any symptoms. And those that have, have been very mild, very, very few hospitalizations. And it begs the question, why isn't our discipline studied? Why isn't the National Institutes of Health funding studies to study things like, like TBM? And they say, well, well, you have to prove what you do. Well, if I as a company prove what I do, do you, are you gonna trust that? Yeah, I did my own research. <laughs> and here's what, that's, that's what the drug companies do sometimes. And uh, they sponsor it too. <laughs> you know, and, and so we're here, we're getting results. We've been in the trenches. If you want to study us, study us. People say, don't you want to prove that TBM works? No, I really don't. You know, people that want it, we're here. Uh, I do want people to know about it. I want people to know it's an option. And if it appeals to them, then great. You know, we want to do great work for them and, and be there for them provide a reproducible, consistent, efficient result. Um, anyway, I know I've been kind of going on and on, but I, I really think it's time for some paradigm shifts, to use a cliche, uh, some paradigm shifts as it comes to healthy people. And, and a dose of open-mindedness, I think, is long overdue. Well, I completely agree. And that's why, like, with this platform I created, I mean, it's just a little grassroots, you know, podcast I'm doing. But at the same time, it's like, how can we be of service in this wonky time, right? Like, well, I can educate people. There's really no reason to be afraid. So for people who are out there, you know, like, trying to shield themselves from something so microscopic that it's going to make its way through. You know, I, I have a townhouse now. And um, the guy... On the other side, I could smell his dinner one night. And I thought, if I could smell his dinner, like, what does that tell you about quarantine? Like, that's such bullshit. I can smell his dinner, you know? So the idea that you can somehow separate yourself from these things, first of all, who wants to live that way? But also, like, you, you know, to have that, that state of fear be what dominates your reality, it's so unhealthy, you know? And... So anyway, I, it's, it's my intention to really educate people that there are resources, there are, you know, literal, practical, tangible ways to cope with this, you know? And um, it's not just too cloth, like it's, it's effective stuff. So. One of my <laughs> earliest mentors, uh, the late Dr. Fred Barge uh, from across Wisconsin, wrote a book called Life Without Fear. And the title alone, it was worth a hundred times the price of the book. And to realize that when we really understand how this world works, there's no room for fear. Fear really, you know, obviously if you're driving a car, you, you're, you don't want to drive off the road. I mean, there's just common practical fears. That's not what I'm talking about. But these, these fears that grip our lives, that, that suck the joy and the connection 
Um, and he was specifically, when he was saying life without fear, he was speaking specifically of microbes. And we have this incredible instrument here that is so richly capable of dealing with microorganisms when it's tuned, when it is replete with the nutrients that it needs. The, the first thing I tell everyone, anytime there's an immune issue, including infections, I tell my practitioner, what's the iodine status? And it's interesting, I went shopping yesterday. And but let me forget, I need to get some iodine before. Okay, yes, you did. <laughs> you did message me that. Um, but I walk into to this shop, uh, a clothing store, and of course I'm wearing a mask. I've just come to expect a lot of stores want to shop without it. And, and some people get really nervous if you're not wearing a mask. And, and uh, you know, Generally, it's it's a small price to pay to be polite and, and so forth. I've spoken to the anxiety of some people, and even though I don't buy into that anxiety, you know, I'm still a human being, and I, I want to be compassionate. But I walk in, and and they, they say, well, um, do you mind using some of the, the the hand stuff and sanitize your hands? So actually, <clears throat> I do mind. And uh, I said, oh well. Um, would you then put on some gloves? We have some medical gloves here for you to run the shop with. And I'm like, I'm really not interested in doing that either. And, and, and I just wanted to say to them, I said, you know that alcohol doesn't kill viruses? <laughs> so like, this is all just, it's for the psyche, it's this false sense of security. The only sense of the security is a robust body. You know, if, if the body is primed and, and to deal with microorganisms, you know, we can live freely and joyously. If not, yeah, we're afraid of everything. And all of a sudden we villainize people who don't, you know, follow a mask or, or do this or get vaccinated or something. I'd like to know, if the vaccine model works, it's based on the fact that you get exposed to a microorganism and you develop a temporary or lifelong immunity. That's the model as, as I understand it. So why do you vaccinate someone who you know recovered from the illness? I don't understand that. If getting the illness doesn't develop immunity, why would a fractured chemical-laden injection, a, a, a fractured little fragment of the DNA from the virus, why would that create immunity where actually having a full-blown illness didn't create And so, I mean, a lot of these, I, I just, I, I, it, it gets a little confusing to me sometimes what, what people are willing to just, okay, and go along with and not question. And again, I'm not anti all of these things. I just want people to be informed. I want them to have good information. That's a whole nother thing right now is this other side realizes if, if accurate information is getting out, they're not looking so good. Oh, and, absolutely. So, and so now there's this, this huge repression <clears throat> of, of communication with people. This, 
is the direction we want to go. I, it's baffling to me, and I'm really, really optimistic that that we're going to make a different choice coming forward. And the type of work that we do, um, and and others like us, I think is are going to become a lot more mainstream because they're there there's obviously a need and i think now there's going to be much more interest it's interesting because um you know speaking about the, the astrology what's happening right now and i was talking to someone because they were really just panicked about like how bad it's getting and i said imagine if you had a job filled with bugs and they're just minding their business <clears throat> and then you go and spray rain and all of a sudden they're scrambling to survive right i go they're scrambling to survive that's really all that's happening. They are absolutely in panic mode to try to maintain dominance over, you know, consciousness in an area. I mean, that's really what's happening. And I, I can't force anyone to look at things differently. I can only provide the information to make you right? And, um, but yeah, things are, things are definitely shifting. And, and the, the more acute the panic and the control, the closer you know you are to the breakthrough. And I always tell my clients that too when they're making a shift psychologically or emotionally because when you're changing your chemistry, like the cell receptor gets used to a certain dialogue all day long, right? Like if you're a depressed person and you're stuck in despair, or you're stuck in victimization, it gets used to that chemical response. When you go to shift that and you're like, I'm not doing this anymore, at first you're like, it's great, everything's fine. But there's a tsunami coming. Right? Because that cell receptor is going to go through withdrawal, and after a while, it's going to kick up, you know, to the brain and say, "Hey, where's your fix?" Right? And so we, as you know, people, we manifest things in our reality and go, "Oh, yeah, that's right. That part of my life does suck. That's true. Oh my gosh!" Right? And then, boom, we cast it back. And so I always tell them, "I'm like, the closer you are to breakthrough, the scarier, uglier, and the more painful it's going to look." But that's the illusion. That's just. That's just. The, the old system trying to maintain dominance. So I agree with you, but I think it might be a little more painful before it gets <laughs> pretty, <laughs> you know? And, you know, um, I, I had a, a friend say to me, my brother died, she goes, there's a lot of casualties with death, you know, and, and with the death of the old way of living, the old way of being, we might have little casualties. You know, there's, there's a lot of people who just don't want to look at things differently. And that's, that's their right. So, um, that's their free will. And I'm, I'm a bit of a Pollyanna. <laughs> and, uh, so, you know, we'll see. Time will tell. I, I'm really proud of our species. And uh, I see a lot of beauty in this world. And I see a lot of incredibly good-hearted people who really do want the best, not just for themselves, but for their neighbors. And of course, we're, we're finding, finding our way. And there are institutions, you know, the nature of institutions is once they gain power, they then think that the people that put them in power are now their minions. They're serfs, they're slaves, if you will. It kind of, it's like, no, this institution was created to serve us, not to dominate over us. And I think we're seeing some of the domination 
right now. We have we have given a lot of power to a lot of particular corporations. Uh, I don't need to name them. I think we all know who I'm referring to. And now they're using that power uh, to suppress free speech. And I don't know of any other species that uses speech anywhere to the degree we do as human beings. It's quintessentially human to communicate ideas and and to start being the arbiter of pick and choosing who gets to share their ideas and who doesn't. I, you know, I, I think we're smarter than that. I think, I think we're going to get wise pretty quick. So we'll just, you know, maybe we'll put a hundred dollar bill in an envelope and, and see who's, who's right here going forward. But I, I, I like people. I like what we're doing. And I think, People are good. I think deep down they are dis disciplined, um, but it does take the free exchange of ideas, and so which is why I'm glad you're doing, you know, this uh, little webcast podcast, as you call it, to um, you know here today. So before we close, just real quickly, because um, <clears throat> Kira did like when I when I lost my sense of smell, I was like, oh. Must have caught the thing. I must have caught the beer panic, right? You know? Yeah. <laughs> and so she worked on me, and it was great because within two hours, I went from like ten percent to like sixty, and then by the next day, I was like at eighty percent. You know, my smell came back. And um, <clears throat> so I just, you know, want to hear yes, no. You know, if you want to go into more detail, that's fine. But like TBM does have a very effective way of treating not just beer panic, but also the jabs, all three of them, <laughs> and they've been effective? Well, on our, um, in our YouTube channel, the Total Body Modification, we have a YouTube channel. We have, uh, we share uh, a basic protocol in dealing with um, the coronavirus. And we don't claim to create any cure and, and so forth. We're all working energetically, vibrationally, and, uh, but that is all there. And we offer uh, to anyone that's a health practitioner, um, the tools to actually work with that situation for free uh, on our website with tbm.com. And, and that's what I shared with earlier. We, we get great feedback. Uh, on our website, there's a free resources section where we go in depth on working with that situation, SARS type situation, uh, for practitioners that are trained in TPM. So kind of two different levels there. As far as, and, and like I said, it's just, it's been smashing, um, smashingly positive, the, the results from around the world. Uh, one of the cases that we had was the second highest antibody titer for um, the coronavirus uh, up to that date in Thailand and had just an incredible um, reversal of their clinical picture. And, uh, and we don't tell people to not do whatever else that they're doing concomitantly. Um, let's just, let's put this in and, and, and see what happens on top of anything else you feel drawn to do. And as far as the, the vaccine goes, you know, any, any stress, any 
insult to the body can tend to leave a neurologic scar, mm -hmm. which can change physiology in a way that produces all sorts of unwanted symptoms. Certainly we're seeing that with the, the vaccines. Uh, one of the people in our network, uh, she's a nurse and works in a hospital, and she's saying they're seeing a lot of NSTEMIs, which is a, a, a type of myocardial infarction that doesn't tend to create the massive permanent damage that a, a STEMI produces or a typical myocardial infarction. And, and she said it is like, she didn't use the term epidemic, but she said it's very clear that there's a tie between getting the virus and now having a, a mild heart attack, mm. if you will. So, you know, these things have effects and sometimes these effects aren't just for a few minutes or for a few hours. Sometimes they'll last for decades. And so our job is to provide the tools and make sure our practitioners can mitigate, neutralize, bring back resonance so those effects stop. And so to that end, we, um, we got samples of the vaccines themselves and we, um, what we do is we don't take any of the actual substance and put it in our testing vials. We actually just take the vibrational frequency and uh, we take it through a device that, that we've been using since the 1940s. Uh, it was Victor's original device that, that we've modified and it puts these different healing frequencies into the vial along with the vib vibrational frequency uh, the vaccine or um, a microorganism uh, or a toxin or whatever else you will. And so our practitioners will use this and essentially to erase the effect of the original trauma. And, and, and when that happens, nearly always the symptoms, the symptom constellation that was coming from that effect, it's generally instantly gone. We kind of get addicted to that in TBM. We like to see instant results. And we find we can generally count on that. On occasion, there is some, um, there's some hard tissue that needs some time to turn over. And so we might see a lessening of results or a delayed reaction. But generally, it's quite instantaneous. And that's one of the things that's so motivational for people. Uh, we like instant results as human beings. Mm -hmm. uh, that's encouraging. So, yeah, so we have these tools, you know, for people and that we make available. The, the um, CV 2019 kit uh, for dealing with the acute situation, that's just free that we offer on our website. Any practitioner, have to be a practitioner. Um, uh, the other vaccine related files we do sell and have those as well. So would you say for people just so they can kind of like do the math in their own mind? Because the way that I think about it, especially with like the job or whatever, it's like, you know, it's essentially just whatever had gone in that's running a program, right, in the system, it just turns it off, basically. Yep. So that it stops running that program on the system. Um, because I know that for people, it's like, well, how do you undo that? You just turn it off. <laughs> right. I mean, in, in well, this, in this, in this scenario, at least, 
Keep in mind that the human body, there's very few cells in your body that are there long ago. Mm -hmm. And so your body is like a river of cells. It's constantly turning over. And so if you have, the liver takes eight months to cycle. So let's say you have a liver impairment from three years ago. Is it the liver, is, is the liver causing the impairment? Because none of the cells that were there three years ago are there anymore. No, it's whatever's driving the rebuilding of the liver. Now, every cell in the body is a tourist, except the neurologic system. You're born with the same number of neurologic cells as you had as you die with. And it's the same ones. They don't turn over. They're not the torus. And so if you have something that's happening reoccurringly in the body, by and large, it's driven by the neurologic system. And the neurologic system, it's called neuroplasticity. It's very plastic, meaning it's very changeable. And we we can work with that and and like you said we can just turn it off if there's if if there's a problem being you know reoccurringly coming into the body day after day week after week month after month year after year don't blame the cells they were they were there you know a month ago <laughs> it's not their fault it's it's what's driving those cells it's what's rebuilding those those tissues and, and that is where the neurologic system works. Yeah, I mean, I could have this conversation all day long. Um, so where can people find a TBM practitioner then if they would need help? Uh, on our website, there's a find a practitioner uh, link uh, at livetbm.com. And you just click on find a practitioner, type in uh, your zip code or postal code if you're outside of the uh, United States and you can choose the, the radius. And thankfully, more and more of our practitioners are doing telemedicine. Mm -hmm. And so you actually don't have to be uh, geographically in the area. Now where it becomes nice geographically is, is time changes. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, if you're in Australia and you wanna work with someone in North America, the time changes can be a little bit difficult to work with. But uh, we actually offer courses specifically in conducting TBM in a, in a telemedicine environment. And, uh, and so that's, that's how they could uh, find someone. Yeah, your ex-wife treated me quite a bit after my assault. And um, I had a really random issue come up and she was in Thailand. I was landing in Italy and we got on the call and I literally was like at the train station. She's like, it's now good? I'm like, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> I think she worked on me. So, um. and, and for anyone that might feel uncomfortable with that, you just experience it once and you realize, wow, this stuff actually works over mm -hmm. the phone incredibly well. And again, realize we're in that, that concentrated wave subparticle area where, there, where time and space don't exist. And that opens up a lot of, of doors. And I realize this is a lot to swallow you know, for a lot of people. Um, these concepts that I'm sharing, these, these are not like pie in the sky, you know, weird ideas. This is what physicists um, will talk about today. Uh, this is what medical researchers that are in the trenches doing real research 
we'll talk about today. Uh, there was a time when what we were doing in TVM was way ahead of what was happening in research. That's not the case anymore. I find when I talk with researchers, we're speaking the same language, which is one of my causes for optimism. Yeah. Well, and like I said, if you want to educate yourself on kind of the foundation, uh, what the bleep do we know? I mean, it's such a great movie, and really, they 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 animate it in a way that you're like, okay, I get it. The extended version is a little heavy. Um, if you're not ready for it, you know, if you're not ready to learn that part, then you probably will fall asleep. But <laughs> it's good stuff, and so it kind of gives you a good premise for just understanding reality on a more subatomic level. So there, there's also uh, <laughs> the name of the author's escaping me, but there's a a book that I highly recommend to everyone called The Case Against Reality. And you want to understand kind of the latest concepts in neuroscience uh, and understand that we do not actually interact with reality. We create models. Uh, that, that book is, is incredible. I don't know if you... I haven't. I'll have to check it out. But uh, it's, it's a great culmination of this work. I apologize for not remembering. We'll look it up and you can put it on, on the link. Um, but that's uh, that's the book I would recommend. There's a, uh, an addendum to uh, what the book. Kevin, thank you so much. I appreciate it. You're welcome. Thank you. Now, it's been a lot of fun. Now we're going to end the recording and then end the...